Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and Chapter 34 of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. We stopped talking and got to thinking. And by and by, Tom says, Looky here, Huck. What fools are we not to think of it before? I bet I know where Jim is. No. Where? In that hut down by the ash hopper. Why, looky here. When we was at dinner, didn't you see a servant go in there with some vittles? Yes. What did you think the vittles was for? For a dog. So'd I. Well, it wasn't for a dog. Why? Because part of it was watermelon. So it was. I noticed it. Well, it does beat all that I never thought about a dog not eating watermelon. It shows how a body can see and don't see at the same time. Well, the servant unlocked the padlock when he went in, and he locked it again when he came out. He fetched Uncle a key about the time we got up from the table. Same key, I bet. Watermelon shows man, lock shows prisoner, and it ain't likely there's two prisoners on such a little plantation, and where the people's all so kind and good. Jim's the prisoner. All right, I'm glad we found it out detective fashion. I wouldn't give shucks for any other way. Now you work your mind and study out a plan to steal Jim, and I'll study out one too, and we'll take the one we like best. What a head for just a boy to have. If I had Tom Sawyer's head, I wouldn't trade it off to be a duke, nor made of a steamboat, nor clown in a circus, nor nothing I can think of. I went to thinking out a plan, but only just to be doing something. I know very well where the right plan was going to come from, and pretty soon... Tom says, Ready? Yes, I says. All right, bring it out. My plan is this, I says. We can easy find out if it's Jim in there. Then get up my canoe tomorrow night and fetch my raft over from the island. Then the first dark night that comes, steal the key out of the old man's britches after he goes to bed and shove off down the river on the raft with Jim. Hide in daytimes and run in nights, the way me and Jim used to do before. Wouldn't that plan work? Tom answered, Work? Why, certainly it'd work. Like rats a-fighting. But it's too blame simple. There ain't nothing to it. What's the good of a plan that ain't no more trouble than that? It's as mild as goose milk. Why, Huck, it wouldn't make no more talk than breaking into a soap factory. I never said nothing, because I weren't expecting nothing different. But I knowed mighty well that whenever he got his plan ready, it wouldn't have none of them objections to it. And it didn't. He told me what it was, and I seen in a minute it was worth fifteen of mine for style, and would make Jim just as free a man as mine would, and maybe get us all killed besides. So I was satisfied, and said we would waltz in on it. I needn't tell what it was here, because I knowed it wouldn't stay the way it was. I knowed he'd be changing it around every which way as we went along. And that is what he done. When we got home, the house was all dark and still, and so we went on down to the hut by the ash hopper for to examine it. We went through the yard so as to see what the hounds would do. They noticed and didn't make no more noise than country dogs is always doing when anything comes by in the night. When we got to the cabin, we took a look up the front and the two sides, and on the side I wasn't acquainted with, which was the north side, we found a square window hole up tolerable high, 
with just one stout board nailed across it. I says, here's the ticket. This hole's big enough for Jim to get through if we wrench off the board. And Tom says, it's as simple as tit-tat-toe, three in a row, and as easy as playing hooky. I should hope we could find a way that's a little more complicated than that, Huck Finn. Well then, I says, the way I done before I was murdered that time. That's more like it, he says. It's real mysterious and troublesome and good, he says. But I bet we can find a way that's twice as long. There ain't no hurry. Let's keep on looking around. Betwixt the hut and the fence on the backside, was a lean-to that joined the hut at the eaves, and was made out of plank. It was as long as the hut, but narrow, only about six foot wide. The door to it was at the south end, and was padlocked. Tom, he went to the soap kettle and searched around, and fetched back the iron thing they had left the lid with, so he took it and prized out one of the staples. The chain fell down, and we opened the door and went in, and shut it, and struck a match, and seen the shed was only built against a cabin, and had no connection with it. And there weren't no floor to the shed, nor nothing in it but some old rusty played-out hoes and spades and picks, and one crippled plow. The match went out, and so did we, and shoved in the staple again, and the door was locked as good as ever. Tom was joyful. He says, Now we're all right. We'll dig him out. It'll take us about a week. Then we started for the house, and I went in the back door. You only have to pull a buckskin latch string. They don't fasten the doors. But that weren't romantical enough for Tom Sawyer. No way would do him, but he must climb up the lightning rod. But after he got halfway up about three times, and missed fire, and fell every time, and the last time most busted his brains out, he thought he'd got to give it up. But after he was rested... He allowed he'd give her one more turn for luck, and that time he made the trip. In the morning we was up at break of day, and down to the slave cabins to pet the dogs and make friends with the slave that fed Jim, if it was Jim that was being fed. The slaves were just getting through breakfast and starting for the fields, and Jim's slave was piling up a tin pan with bread and meat and things, and whilst the others was leaving, the key come from the house. This slave had a good-natured, chuckle-headed face, and his hair was all tied up in little bunches with thread. That was to keep witches off. He said the witches was pestering him awful these nights, and making him see all kinds of strange things, and hear all kinds of strange words and noises. And he didn't believe he was ever witched so long before in his life. He got so worked up, and got to running on so about his troubles, he forgot all about what he'd been a-going to do. So Tom says... "'What's the vittles for? "'Going to feed the dogs?' "'The slave kind of smiled around gradually over his face, "'like when you have a brick bat in a mud puddle, "'and he says, "'Yes, Mars said, a dog. "'Curious dog, too. "'Does you want to go in and look at him?' "'Yes,' we answered. "'I hunts Tom and whispers, "'You going right here in the daybreak? "'That weren't the plan.' "'No, it weren't. "'But it's the plan now.' "'So, drat him, we went along, but I didn't like it much. "'When we got in, we couldn't hardly see anything. "'It was so dark. "'But Jim was there, sure enough, and could see us, and he sings out. 
Why, Huck, and good land, it, it's Mr. Tom. I just knowed how it would be. I just expected it. I didn't know nothing to do, and if I had, I couldn't have done it, because that slave busted in and says, Why, to gracious sake, do he know you gentlemen? We could see pretty well now. Tom, he looked at the slave, steady, and kind of wondering, and says, Does who know us? Why, this year runaway slave. I don't reckon he does, but what put that into your head? What put it there? Didn't he just a minute sing out like he knowed you? Tom says, in a puzzled-up kind of way, Well, that's mighty curious. Who sung out? When did he sing out? And what did he say? He turns to me, perfectly calm, and says, Did you hear anybody sing out? Of course, there weren't nothing to be said but the one thing, so I says, Nah, I ain't heard nobody say nothing. Then Tom turns to Jim, and looks him over like he'd never seen him before, and says, Did you sing out? No, sir, says Jim. I ain't said nothing. Not a word? No, sir. I ain't said a word. Did you ever see us before? No, sir. Not as I knows on. So then Tom turns to the slave, and he was looking wild and distressed, and says, kind of severe, What do you reckon's the matter with you, anyway? What made you think somebody sang out? Oh, it's the dad blame witches. And I wished I was dead, I do. They's always at it, sir, and they, they do most kill me. They scares me so. Please to don't tell nobody about it, sir, or old Mar Silas, he'll scold me. "'Cause he say they ain't no witches. "'I just wish to goodness he was here now. "'Then what would he say? "'I just bet he couldn't find no way to get around it this time. "'But it's always just so. "'People that sot, stay sot. "'They won't look into nothing if it ain't for themselves. "'And when you find it out and tell them about it, "'they don't believe you.' "'Tom gave him a dime and said we wouldn't tell nobody "'and told him to buy some more thread to tie up his wool with and then looks at Jim and says, I wonder if Uncle Silas is going to hang this slave. If I was to catch a slave that was ungrateful enough to run away, I wouldn't give him up. I'd hang him. And whilst the slave stepped to the door to look at the dime and bite it to see if it was good, he whispered to Jim and said, Don't ever let on to know us, Jim, and if you hear any digging going on nights, it's us. We're going to set you free. Jim only had time to grab us by the hand and squeeze it, then the slave came back, and we said we'd come again sometime if the slave wanted us to, and he said he would, more particular if it was dark, because the witches went for him mostly in the dark, and it was good to have folks around then. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Chapter 35 It would be most an hour yet till breakfast, so we left and struck down into the woods, because Tom said we got to have some light to see how to dig by, and a lantern makes too much, and might get us into trouble. What we must have was a lot of them rotten chunks that's called foxfire, and just makes a soft kind of glow when you lay them in a dark place. We fetched an armful and hid it in the weeds, 
and set down to rest, and Tom says, kind of dissatisfied, Blame it! This whole thing is just as easy and awkward as it can be, and it makes it so hard to get up a difficult plan. There ain't no watchman to be drugged. Now there ought to be a watchman. There ain't even a dog to give a sleeping mixture to. And there's Jim chained by one leg with a ten-foot chain to the leg of his bed. Why, all you gotta do is lift up the bedstead and slip off the chain. And Uncle Silas, he trusts everybody. Sends the key to the pumpkin-headed slave and don't send nobody to watch him. Jim could have got out of that window hole before this, only there wouldn't be no use trying to travel with a ten-foot chain on his leg. Why, drat it, Huck, it's the stupidest arrangement I ever seen. You got to invent all the difficulties. Well, we can't help it. We got to do the best we can with the materials we've got. Anyhow, there's one thing. There's more honor in getting him out through a lot of difficulties and dangers where there weren't one of them furnished to you by the people who it was their duty to furnish them. And you had to contrive them all out of your own head. Now just look at that one thing of the lantern. When you come down to the cold facts, we simply got to let on that a lantern's risky. Why, we could work with a torchlight procession if we wanted to, I believe. Now, whilst I think of it, we got to hunt up something to make a saw out of the first chance we get. What do we want of a saw, Tom? What do we want of it? Ain't we got to saw the leg of Jim's bed off so as to get the chain loose? Yeah, but you just said a body could lift up the bedstead and slip the chain off. Well, that ain't just like you, Huck Ben. You can get up the infant schooliest ways of going at a thing. Why, ain't you ever read any books at all? Baron Trank, nor Casanova, nor Benvenuto Cellini, nor Henry the Fourth, nor none of them heroes' books? Who ever heard of getting a prisoner loose in such an old matey way as that? No, the way all the best authorities does it is to saw the bed leg in two and leave it just so and swallow the sawdust so it can't be found and put some dirt and grease around the sawed place so the very keenest Sinesco can't see no sign of its being sawed and thinks the bed leg is perfectly sound. Then, the night you're ready, you fetch the leg a kick, down she goes, slip off your chain, and there you are. Nothing to do but hitch your rope ladder to the battlements, shin down it, break your leg in the moat, because a rope ladder is 19 feet too short, you know? And there's your horses and your trusty vassals, and they scoop you up and fling you across the saddle, and away you go to your native Languedoc, or in the bar, or wherever it is. It's gaudy, Huck. I wish there was a moat to this cabin. If we get time, the night of the escape, we'll dig one. I says... What do we want of a moat when we're going to snake him out from under the cabin? But he never heard me. He had forgotten me and everything else. He had his chin on his hand, thinking. Pretty soon he sighs and shakes his head, then sighs again and says, Nah, 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 it wouldn't do. There ain't necessity enough for it. For what? I says. Why, to saw Jim's leg off, he says. Good land! I says, why ain't there no necessity for it, as you say, and what would you want to saw his leg off for anyway? Well, some of the best authorities has done it. They couldn't get the chain off, so they just cut their hand off and shoved. And a leg would be better still. But we got to let that go. 
"'There ain't necessity enough in this case. "'And besides, Jim's a slave, "'and wouldn't understand the reasons for it, "'and how it's the custom in Europe, "'so we'll let it go. "'But there's one thing. "'He can have a rope ladder. "'We can tear up our sheets "'and snake him a rope ladder easy enough, "'and we can send it to him in a pie. "'It's mostly done that way. "'And I've had worse pies.' "'Why, Tom Sawyer, how you talk?' I says. "'Jim ain't got no use for a rope ladder.' "'He has got use for it. How you talk, you better say. You don't know nothing about it. He's got to have a rope ladder. They all do.' "'What in the nation can he do with it?' "'Do with it? He can hide it in his bed, can't he? That's what they all do. And he's got to, too.' "'Huck!' You don't ever seem to want to do anything that's regular. You want to be starting something fresh all the time. Suppose he don't do nothing with it. Ain't it there in his bed for a clue after he's gone? And don't you reckon they'll want clues? Of course they will. And you wouldn't leave them any? That'd be pretty howdy-do, wouldn't it? I never heard of such a thing. Well, I says, if it's in the regulations and he's got to have it, "'All right, let him have it, "'cause I don't wish to go back on no regulations. "'But there's one thing. "'Tom Sawyer, if we go to tearing up our sheets "'to make Jim a rope ladder, "'we're going to get into trouble with Aunt Sally, "'just as sure as you're born. "'Now the way I look at it, "'a hickory-bark ladder don't cost nothing, "'and don't waste nothing, "'and is just as good to load up a pie with "'and hide it in a straw tick "'as any rag ladder you can start.' And as for Jim, he ain't had no experience, and so he don't care what kind of a- Ah, shucks, Huck Finn. If I was as ignorant as you, I'd keep still. That's what I'd do. Who ever heard of a state prisoner escaping by a hickory-bark ladder? Why, it's perfectly ridiculous. All right, Tom, fix it your own way. But if you take my advice, you'll let me borrow a sheet off the clothesline. But he said that wouldn't do. And that gave him another idea. And he says, Borrow a shirt, too. What do we want of a shirt, Tom? I want it for Jim to keep a journal on. Journal, you're granny. Jim can't write. Suppose he can't write. He can make marks on a shirt, can't he? If we make him a pen out of an old pewter spoon or a piece of old iron barrel hoop. Why, Tom, we can pull a feather out of a goose and make him a better one. "'and quicker, too. "'Prisoners don't have geese running around the donjon keep "'to pull pens out of, you muggins. "'They always make their pens out of the hardest, "'toughest, troublesomest piece of old brass candlestick "'or something like that that they can get their hands on. "'And it takes them weeks and weeks "'and months and months to file it out, too, "'because they've got to do it by rubbing it on the wall. "'They wouldn't use a goose quill if they had it. "'It ain't regular.' Well, then, what'll we make him the ink out of? Many makes it out of iron rust and tears, but that's the common sort and women. The best authorities use their own blood. Jim can do that, and when he wants to send any little common, ordinary, mysterious message to let the world know where he's captivated, he can write it on the bottom of a tin plate with a fork and throw it out the window. The iron mask always done that, and it's a blame good way, too. Jim ain't got no tin plates. They feed him in a pan. That ain't nothing. We can get him some. Can't nobody read his plates. 
Then ain't got anything to do with it, Huck Finn. All he's got to do is write on the plate and throw it out. You don't have to be able to read it. By half the time, you can't read anything a prisoner writes on a tin plate or anywhere else. Well, then, what's the sense in wasting the plates? Why blame it all? It ain't the prisoner's plates. But it's somebody's plates, ain't it? Well, supposing it is. What does the prisoner care who's... He broke off there because we heard the breakfast horn blowing. So we cleared out for the house. Along during the morning, I borrowed a sheet and a white shirt off the clothesline, and I found an old sack and put them in it. And we went down and got the fox fire and put that in too. Well, as I was saying, we waited that morning till everybody was settled down to business, and nobody in sight around the yard. Then Tom, he carried the sack into the lean-to whilst I stood off a piece to keep watch. By and by he come out, and we went and sat down on the woodpile to talk, and he says, Everything's all right now, except the tools, and that's easy fixed. Tools? I says. Yes. Tools for what? Why, to dig with. We ain't going to gnaw him out, are we? Ain't them old crippled picks and things in there good enough to dig a slave out with? I says. He turns on me, looking pitying enough to make a body cry, and says, Huck Finn, did you ever hear of a prisoner having picks and shovels and all the modern conveniences in his wardrobe to dig himself out with? Now I want to ask you, if you got any reasonableness in you at all, what kind of show would that give him to be a hero? Why, they might as well lend him the key and done with it. Picks and shovels, why, they wouldn't furnish them to a king. Well then, I says, if we don't want the picks and shovels, what do we want? A couple of case knives. To dig the foundation out from under that cabin with? Yes. Confound it. That's foolish, Tom. Don't make no difference how foolish it is. It's the right way, and it's the regular way, and there ain't no other way that I ever heard of, and I've read all the books that given any information about these things. They always dig out with a case knife, and not through dirt, mind you. Generally, it's through solid rock, and it takes them weeks and weeks and weeks, and forever and ever. Why, look at one of them prisoners at the bottom dungeon of the Castle Deef in the harbor of Marseilles that dug himself out that way. How long was he at it, you reckon? I don't know. Well, guess. I don't know, a month and a half. Thirty-seven years. And he come out in China. That's the kind. I wish the bottom of this fortress was solid rock. Jim don't know nobody in China. What's that got to do with it? Neither did that other fella. But you're always wandering off on a side issue. Why can't you stick to the main point? All right. I don't care where he comes out. Just so he comes out. And Jim don't either. I reckon. But there's one thing anyway. Jim's too old to be dug out with a case knife. He won't last. Oh, yeah, he will last too. You don't reckon it's going to take 37 years to dig out through a dirt foundation, do you? How long do you think it'll take, Tom? Well, we can't risk being as long as we ought to, because it mayn't take very long for Uncle Silas to hear from down there by New Orleans. He'll hear Jim ain't from there. Then his next move will be to advertise Jim, or something like that, 
"'so we can't risk being as long digging them out as we ought to. "'By rights, I reckon we ought to be a couple of years. "'But we can't. "'Things being so uncertain, "'what I recommend is this, "'that we really dig right in, as quick as we can, "'and after that, we can let on to ourselves "'that we was at it for thirty-seven years. "'Then we can snatch him out "'and rush him away the first time there's an alarm. "'Yep, I reckon that's the best way.' "'Well, what do you know, Tom? "'There's actually sense in that,' says I. "'Letting on ain't no trouble, "'and if it's any object, "'I don't mind letting on we was at it a hundred and fifty years. "'It wouldn't strain me none, "'after I got my hand in. "'So I'll mosey along now "'and smooch a couple of case knives.' "'Smooch three, he says. "'We want one to make a saw out of.' "'Tom,' If it ain't unregular and irreligious to suggest it, I says, there's an old rusty saw blade around yonder sticking under the weatherboarding behind the smokehouse. He looked kind of weary and discouraged like and says, It ain't no use to try and learn you nothing, Huck. Run along and smooch the knives, three of them. So, I done it. Chapter 36 as soon as we reckoned everybody was asleep that night, we went down the lightning rod and shut ourselves up in the lean-to and got out our pile of foxfire and went to work. We cleared everything out of the way, about four or five foot along the middle of the bottom log. Tom said he was right behind Jim's bed now, and we'd dig in under it, and when we got through, there couldn't nobody in the cabin ever know that there was any hole there, because Jim's counterpin hung down most of the ground, and you'd have to raise it up and look under it to see the hole. So we dug and dug with the case knives till most midnight, and then we was dog-tired, and our hands was blistered, and yet you couldn't see we'd done anything hardly. At last I says, This ain't no thirty-seven-year job. This is a thirty-eight-year job, Tom Sawyer. But he never said nothing. He sighed, and pretty soon he stopped digging, and then for a good little while I knowed what he was thinking. And then he says, Ah, this ain't no use, Huck. It ain't a-gonna work. If we was prisoners, it would, because then we'd have as many years as we wanted, and no hurry, and we wouldn't get but a few minutes to dig every day, whilst they was change and watch, and so our hands wouldn't get blistered, and we would just keep it going right along, year in, year out, and do it right, and the way it ought to be done. But we can't fool along. We got to rush. We ain't got no time to spare. If we was to put in another night this way, we'd have to knock off for a week to let our hands get well. Couldn't touch a case knife with them sooner. Well, then, what are we going to do, Tom? I'll tell you, it ain't right, and it ain't moral, and I wouldn't like it to get out. But there ain't only just the one way. We got to dig him out with the picks and let on its case knives. Now you're talking, I says. Your head gets leveler and leveler all the time, Tom Sawyer, I says. Picks is the thing, moral or no moral, and as for me, I don't care shucks for the morality of it, nohow. Well, he says, there's excuse for picks and letting on in a case like this. If it weren't so, I wouldn't approve of it, nor I wouldn't stand by and see the rules broke, because right is right, and wrong is wrong, and a body ain't got no business doing wrong when he ain't ignorant and knows better. It might answer for you to dig Jim out with a pick 
without ever letting on, because you don't know no better. But it wouldn't for me, because I do know better. Give me a case knife. He had his own by him, but I handed him mine. He flung it down and says, Give me a case knife. I didn't know just what to do, but then I thought. I scratched around amongst the old tools and got a pickaxe and give it to him, and he took it and went to work and never said a word. He was always just that particular, full of principle. So then I got a shovel, and then we picked and shoveled turnabout and made the thing fly. We stuck to it for about a half an hour, which is as long as we could stand up, but we had a good deal of a hole to show for it. When I got upstairs, I looked out the window and saw Tom doing his level best with the lightning rod, but he couldn't come it. His hands were so sore. At last he says, It ain't no use. It can't be done. What do you reckon I better do? Can't you think of no way? Yes, I says, but I reckon it ain't regular. Come up the stairs and let on it's a lightning rod. So he done it. Next day, Tom stole a pewter spoon and a brass candlestick in the house for to make some pens for Jim out of, and six tallow candles, and I hung around the slave cabins and laid for a chance and stole three tin plates. Tom says it wasn't enough, but I said nobody would never see the plates that Jim throwed out because they'd fall in the dog fennel and Jimson weeds under the window hole. Then we could tote them back, and he could use them over again. So Tom was satisfied. Then he says, Now the thing to study out is how to get the things to Jim. Take them in through the hole, I says, when we get it done. But Tom only just looked scornful at that and said something about nobody ever heard of such an idiotic idea. And then he went to studying. By and by, he said he'd ciphered out two or three more ways, but there weren't no need to decide on any of them yet. Said we got to post Jim first. That night we went down the lightning rod a little after ten and took one of the candles along and listened under the window hole and heard Jim snoring. So we pitched it in and it didn't wake him. Then we whirled in with the pick and shovel and then about two hours and a half the job was done. We crept in under Jim's bed and into the cabin and pawed around and found the candle and lit it and stood over Jim a while and found him looking hearty and healthy. And then we woke him up gentle and gradual. He was so glad to see us he most cried and called us honey and all the pet names he could think of and was for having us hunt up a cold chisel to cut the chain off his leg with right away and clearing out without losing any time. But Tom, he showed him how unregular that would be, and had sat down and told him all about our plans, and how we could alter them in a minute any time there was an alarm, and not to be the least afraid, because we would see he got away sure. So Jim, he said it was all right, and we sat there and talked over old times a while, and then Tom asked a lot of questions, and when Jim told him Uncle Silas come in every day or two to pray with him, and Aunt Sally come in to see if he was comfortable and had plenty to eat, and both of them was kind as they could be, Tom says, Now I know how to fix it. We'll send you some things by them. I said, Don't do nothing of the kind. It's one of the most jackass ideas you've ever had. But he never paid no attention to me and went right on. 
That was his way when he'd got his plan set. So he told Jim how he'd have to smuggle in the rope ladder pie and other large things by Nat, the slave that was bringing him food. And he must be on the lookout and not be surprised and not let Nat see him open them. And we would put small things in Uncle's coat pockets and he had to steal them out. And we'd tie things to Aunt's apron strings or put them in her apron pocket if we got a chance and told him what they would be and what they was for and told him how to keep a journal on the shirt with his blood and all that. He told him everything. Jim couldn't see no sense in any of it. But he allowed we was white folks and knowed better than him. So he was satisfied and said he would do it all just as Tom said. Jim had plenty corncob pipes and tobacco, so we had a right down good sociable time. Then we crawled out through the hole and so home to bed with hands that looked like they'd been chawed. Tom was in high spirits. He said it was the best fun he'd ever had in his life and the most intellectual and said if he could only see his way to it, we would keep it up the rest of our lives and leave Jim to our children to get out for he believed Jim would come to like it better and better the more he got used to it. He said that in a way that it could be strung out as much as 80 years and would be the best time on record and he said it would make us all celebrated that we had a hand in it. In the morning we went out to the woodpile and chopped up the brass candlestick into handy sizes and Tom put them and the pewter spoon in his pocket. Then we went to the slave cabins and while I got Nat's notice off Tom shoved a piece of candlestick into the middle of a corn pone that was in Jim's pan and we went along with Nat to see how it would work and it worked just right and when Jim bit into it it most mashed all his teeth out and there weren't ever anything that could have worked better. Tom said so himself. Jim, he never let on, but what it was only just a piece of rock or something like that. It's always getting into the bread, you know. But after that, he never bit into nothing but what he jabbed his fork into it in three or four different places first. And whilst we was a-standing there in the dimmest light, here comes a couple of the hounds bulging in from under Jim's bed. And they kept on piling in until there was eleven of them. And there weren't hardly room in there to get your breath. By jings, we forgot to fasten that lean-to door. The slave Nat, he'd only just hollered witches once and keeled over onto the floor amongst the dogs and begun to groan like he was dying. Tom jerked the door open and flung out a slab of Jim's meat and the dogs went for it. And in two seconds he was out himself and back again and shut the door. And I knowed he'd fixed the other door too. Then we went to work on the slave, coaxing him and petting him and asking him if he'd been imagining he saw something again. He raised up and blinked his eyes around and says, Mars Sid, you say I was a fool. If I didn't believe I seen a million dogs or devils or something, I wish I might die right here on these tracks. I did most surely. Mars Sid, I felt them. I felt them, said they was all over me. Dad, fetch it. I just wish I could get my hands on one of them damn witches just once. It's all I'd asked, but mostly I wish they'd let me alone. Tom says, Well, I tell you what I think. What makes them come here just as this runaway slave's breakfast time? It's because they're hungry. That's the reason. You make them a witch pie. That's the thing for you to do. But my land, Mars said, how's I going to make a witch pie? I don't know how to make it. I ain't never heard of such a thing. Well, then I'll have to make it myself. 
Will you do it, honey? Will you? All right, I'll do it, seeing it's you. And you've been good to us and showed us the runaway slave. But you got to be mighty careful. When we come around, you turn your back. And then whatever we put in the pan, don't you let on you see it at all. And don't you look when Jim unloads the pan. Something might happen. I don't know what. And above all, don't you handle the witch things. Handle? Mars Sid, what is you talking about? I wouldn't lay the weight of my finger on them. Not in ten hundred thousand billion years, I wouldn't. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road. Next week, Chapter 37.